to the show today we'll be talking about transnationalism of course right because my black is transnational but first i want to remind you all to follow me on instagram black transnational underscore you can also find this podcast along um with many other podcasts of course on apple podcasts google um tune in and all the other platforms please make sure to follow and subscribe um, really appreciate it. You can email me at kalechi.lamberts at gmail.com. Um, I'm not on Twitter because I don't tweet much. Um, I keep saying I'm going to get better at that, but that never turns out to be the case. I only use Twitter for football stuff, now that I think about it. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so today we'll be talking specifically about transnationalism and food, diet, nutrition, however you, whatever you want term you want to use. Uh, we'll be talking about how transnational connections um, impact food and how food in return impact us as far as our um, perceptions, our cultural sustenance, and also our health. So, I mean, the reality is this. Everybody's got to eat. I mean, there's no way around it. And that's why you'll notice that, you know, in for almost Every chronic disease that's out there, any you know, long-term behavioral-related uh, illnesses, you always realize and, and identify that food plays a role um, in research, in life, in whatever. Everybody's got to eat some way, somehow. You got to put nutrients in your body. It's just important, right? So now, when we talk about what food does for us, it's obviously um, helpful and it plays a, a major role when it comes to our physical and biological um, construction, I would say, or just how we are comp composed. Composition would probably be the better word. But because this is not that type of show, right? We're not getting into the deep sciences of it. We also have to focus on the fact that food plays a role when it comes to our culture and how we identify ourselves culturally. When you go to different places around the world or even here, in the States, you'll notice that, you know, we don't even identify our food just based off, you know, one says, I just want some rice and some shrimp. I mean, you might, but most of the time, if we're just speaking formally or informally with someone, we'd say, yo, you know, I want some Chinese or, you know, I'm, I'm really craving some, some Mexican food right now, right? Or I'm, I want some Italian, right? Or even some Greek food, some Mediterranean, right? So most of the time when we think about food, we associate it with some form of cultural group. Uh, and, and obviously that's because that's the, the genesis of where these foods come from. But furthermore, I mean, it just speaks on culture. So if we're talking about transnationalism and how people travel 
around the world and sustain their culture. You can also tell because you can see these places where you can see these restaurants and, you know, these different types of locations where these foods are being served, you know that there's some form of transnational component that may be there. It may not necessarily be a full-fledged back-and-forth thing, but you see that there are people there who are trying to sustain their culture, who bring their culture with them as they immigrate to the States. Or you may have people who may travel somewhere across the world, around the world, and bring these types of food ideas and influence it or integrate it into their own cultural um, food for preparation, right? So you know that food, and because culture is very dynamic, food also becomes dynamic. It's something that continues to grow and evolve. So one day you may have things that was that was from Africa. Then you see that there's a mix now. You see that, you know, Africans are eating spaghetti and you're just like, yo, what's going on, right? So because we're becoming more of a global community, things are becoming more blended. Um, food plays a role. And, and I think we can truly associate our food practices with our transnational habits as well, because you know that our trans transnational individuals will travel to a country and because they're acculturating to that process, to that new country, I should say, they also start to incorporate that country's diet. So being in America, you start to do things that are a little bit more American. Maybe you you start to eat more burgers and fries, right? Things that, you know, you're becoming more westernized. But in on the other hand, you're still also eating your the same African food that you were eating before you came to the United States or the same Greek food that you were eating before you came to the United States, or the same Chinese food that you were eating before you immigrated to the states. So it doesn't really change. It's just essentially your your um your option your your food options just continue to grow right now because you have the best of multiple worlds. So that's essentially what, from a non health standpoint, just from a day to day, you know, it's a really good indicator if you're really trying to just find out you know how people sustain their culture. Pay attention to the food. I mean, food matters, and it, it really does, because it's something that can be passed on from generation to generation. We talk about recipes, right? And, and it's something that people really take pride in. I mean, in the black community, being able to make some some uh, some mac and cheese, some yams, some collard greens, some chitterlings, I mean, that's major. If, if that's something that people pass down from generation to generation, from grandma to son and daughter, whoever, um, you know, how people prepare their food. Um, really speaks well to the culture. Um, you know, you, you have those who don't play around with their food, right? Um, and that's something that is relevant in all cultures. Um, so it applies in every particular population, every race and ethnicity, uh, that their food, their sustenance of the traditional diet also is a very strong indicator of where they're at as far as how they see themselves um, and their culture and their pride in it to some degree. It's a way for people to still feel connected some way, somehow. It may not be full-blown transnationalism where you're going out and you're sending money or you're traveling to that country every three, four months, or you're, you know, you're really living in both worlds. It may not be that strong, but it's strong enough to the point where you are able to say, hey, look, if I'm from this country, uh, my parents were from this country, or my grandparents were from this country, and I'm able to eat, you know, lasagna because my grandma made this. So this ties to my Italian roots 
or my Irish roots because we eat steak and potato. That's been something that we've been doing since the old country. My grandpa brought this tradition here to the house. So obviously I'm speaking about all other cultures that are non-black, but now if we go deep into the black community, we understand where specifically with the African-Americans, we understand how their um, their food their food came where their food came from right when we think about the african american community and things that are related to its culture we also got to take into consideration there's a lot of soul in it right so when we talk we think about soul music and soul food right and and that is a huge indicator of you know the black community there's a lot of soul in what what was needed um in order to construct that culture it's filled with soul um, but historically, we know that there's a, there are tons of influences that um, factored into what is, you know, soul food now. Uh, we know historically that black people in, in during the slave ages had to make do with what they had, right? What was there, what was available in order to eat, because everybody's got to eat. And, you know, just maybe some French influence here, some American influence here, some whatever influence there. Um, people put it together and you, we now have what we call soul food, um, which as I've always talked about with the African-American culture, it was it's a culture that had to be created from scratch, right? And developed into what it is now and sustained to become something that's very popular now, right? Um, I'm sure chicken and waffles is not a white thing. I don't know the history of this, but I just know that chicken and waffles is not a white thing. I'll be damned if that's the case. I'm going to just end this show right now if that's the case. Somebody got to prove me wrong. Send me an email or something if that's the case. But I can tell you right now that was something that is delicious, but it had to be, it took, somebody had to take a leap of faith to make that happen. God bless them. All right. Okay. I'm getting a little distracted because I'm hungry. But um, now when we talk about the food choices that people make, uh, you know, it's very difficult, you know, for people in health because of this constant overlooking, especially in the black community, there's this assumption that we all eat the same thing, right? And, and I always say in, in my research, uh, the work that I do, I always make that a huge point of emphasis to show that in research, there's always this grouping together of all of us black folks. Um, and that includes Africans, that includes Afro-Caribbeans, that includes African-Americans. Because we share the same skin color, they assume we all eat the same thing. So that means that me as an African immigrant, 1.5 generation, people will think that because I live on the south side of Chicago, at least I grew up on the south side of Chicago, um, people will assume that I identify with the same group that by nature eats a lot of soul food. That doesn't mean I don't eat it, but that's not my that's not my my default diet. I grew up eating eba amala efo, which is vegetable soup, okra soup, red red stew with meat and heavily starched um, food products and rice. Lots of lots of lots of rice, jollof rice, fried rice, milk rice, green rice, red rice, yellow rice right? Just food that was very colorful, um, but very straightforward, right? I didn't grow up eating chitlins. I've never eaten chitlins in my goddamn life, and I don't think I ever will because I've heard nightmarish stories about it. But because of my particular background and my transnational identity, I have the opportunity to at least say that 
I incorporate both soul food and African food into my daily diet now, right? Um, I eat more mac and cheese and chicken and greens, right, and cornbread, but I also eat a lot of jollof rice and um, I eat a lot of gari, which is cassava, and stew, a lot of plantains. I still incorporate that into my dietary practices as well. So I have vegetable world, and it's not something I just go out and eat or go say, hey, look, I want to order this. This is not just a delicacy, but this is actually something that on a day-to-day basis we mix up in our family. So imagine for someone, though, who, um, who migrated to the United States uh, and was trying to, you know, sustain their identity. Uh, An important thing for them is being able to eat their traditional food. So being able to go to a place where you can, uh, most of the time, if you can't find a restaurant, maybe go to a a world market and get the ingredients so you can cook that food. Because once you're able to eat that, that food that's nostalgic to your homeland, it makes you feel much more comfortable. It makes that acculturation process much easier knowing that there are places you can go to access uh, the necessary products to be able to uh, keep your diet, keep your, not just your diet, I shouldn't just say diet, but keep your um, your food consumption up. You can be able to sustain that. So that's just an example, but we have to shift gears a little bit and, th- and talk about it from a health standpoint. I have to, because that's my background. And when we talk about the black community, we have to take into consideration that all black people are, are at risk. Um, if you look at research, you'll know that black people are suffering from a high level of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases. I mean, I, it's probably the number one killer. All those are number one killers of black people in the United States, and if not across the world. Um, when we talk about chronic diseases and uh, how it, it factors into the overall black population, just best believe that it's some way, somehow related to diet. And definitely now in contemporary times, or recent times, I should say, to be more formal, that diet plays a role, especially with obesity, right? We have a lot of people who are black that are struggling and diagnosed with obesity. Obesity is not just something you are. It is actually a disease. So we take that into consideration, but people are suffering from the burden of obesity and um, overweight, being overweight as well. And that factors into the diet. Now, we can go into great detail about access to resources and some of the health disparities that play a role in in underserved communities and why that is the reason that people who may identify as African-American or just black period may suffer from obesity and all these correlated chronic diseases at a very high rate because there's just not enough access to healthier food products out there. And even if we're talking about diet from a cultural standpoint, there aren't enough alternatives that are provided by these healthier, that would be provided if we had healthier uh, markets uh, so that people could be able to prepare their cultural dishes at a, at a healthier, on a healthier level, right? These resources don't exist. Um, they're not prevalent, I should say. 
So that becomes problematic, and that serves as one of the one of the factors, um, among many other factors, in the black community overall, uh, when it comes to diet and 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 um, chronic diseases. Now, when we talk about the transnational community, what makes the transnational community unique is that you have the ability to go back and forth, right? So most immigrants that are coming in anywhere that you go, if you go anywhere across the world, you feel like your food is the best. Right. So a lot of transnational immigrants, transnational black immigrants will come into the to the states and they bring their diets with them, as I've said before. But a lot of them perceive their food to be healthier. Why? Because they feel like they make it from scratch. Um, there is this belief that they don't have to rely on processed food. So a lot of transnational immigrants believe that because their food, because of where they came from, there weren't at that time, a lot of them, especially for those who migrated in the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, a lot of them didn't have to deal with fast food um, restaurants being established in their country. A lot of them can be able to rely on going to markets, um, street markets, and buy ingredients and prepare their food from scratch. So because they bring that same attitude with them, to the United States, a lot of them still may prepare their food from scratch. And because of that, there's a lot more control. There's a lot more understanding of what you're putting in your food. You don't have to rely on something that may be processed and microwavable. You know that you're putting this amount of peppers, this amount of tomatoes, this amount of vegetables, this amount of oil. So a lot of transnational immigrants feel like there's a their diet, their their nutrition their food is healthier than what's available in America. So therefore, when it comes to their belief as far as being susceptible to chronic diseases such as uh, you know, diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease and obesity, they feel like there's a less likelihood for them to uh, be to suffer from this particular um, diseases that I just mentioned because their diet is, is, is fresh. It's fresh food. Um, and they believe they have the access to it, right? Because they don't have to rely on just world markets all the time. You don't always have to go to international markets because that international market may serve as a middleman, a middle person, middle group, right? And they may import and export these products, but they may charge you a high amount. So I know tons of people who say, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, I might go to the market just to get a couple things, but I'm going to go to Nigeria. I have a cousin that's coming or I have an auntie that's coming from, you know, Nigeria, Ghana, from the old country, and they're going to bring some stuff for me. I had asked them to come and bring some stuff for me, so hopefully they can bring it. And most of the time, they store it somewhere, preferably a freezer. Um, most transnational, specifically Africans, I'll speak to Africans, most transnational Africans have a deep freezer somewhere in their home. If you have a house, you have a deep freezer. If you have a big apartment, you have a deep freezer. And most of the time, this is because they bring food products from their native country and they store it in these deep freezers. So when they need to be able to prepare the food that is um, prepared their food, they can be able to access these ingredients easily and thaw it and get to cooking. So I don't have to worry about going to an African restaurant and paying a high amount. I don't have to worry too much about going to a world market. My cousin came to visit for a couple months, and she brought some stuff with me in her two lug in one of her two luggages. So now we good. So we can just be able to eat, 
and be able to sustain our diet properly. So now what that led me to want wonder as a researcher was, do, do, does transnationalism serve as a protective factor? Is it a motivating factor? Does it protect, can it potentially protect people from chronic diseases? Can the sustenance of this diet in which they view to be healthy, does that play a role in maybe the the likelihood of them being able to uh, not suffer or be diagnosed with diabetes and other correlated chronic diseases? There's a yes and no, if you want my honest opinion, and you didn't ask, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, it's a yes and no thing for me. I haven't really necess- I haven't really gone and discovered true answers yet. I've done some small research on it, and um, some colleagues and I did some research in 2014, and we found some interesting things. But to be a little bit more informal about it, it's a yes and no thing for me. I have to go back and say because yes, you can be um, transnational, and yes, you may perceive your diet to be healthier um, because you make it from scratch and you have all these fresh food products involved in it right? Um, stew, red stew is nothing but peppers, onions, some vegetables if you want to add some and and you blend it, right? But we also, on the other hand, have a lot of high um, starchy diet, a lot of cassava, a lot of, you know, powdered, just fufu is very starchy, very high carb diets. Um, so that's one thing to take into consideration. Um, a lot of transnational, specifically Africans, use a lot of oil, and high sodium products like Maggie cubes, um, a lot of Zomi oil, which is like red palm oil, right? Things that may be very um, high in fat, right? And high in sodium. So if we're talking about hypertension and the risks for that, that plays a role because there's this confusion that sodium equals salt. And no, salt has sodium in it, but Sodium is also in other types of food products, and Maggie cubes is considered that. And we, I know as as a Nigerian, we throw Maggie on everything. So, I mean, that's a risk factor right there. So, I don't know if it's truly protective, but I do know that it plays a role as far as protecting our cultural identity. There's still a lot to be learned as far as what the, the sustenance of traditional diets may do for an individual who's been here for a long time. So every time I think about my research, I always think about my family members, like my mom. Mom has been here for over 20, 30 years and still very much so identifies herself to be a Nigerian slash Ghanaian woman. So when she goes to the doctor, I always wonder like, what's that conversation like? Does she truly tell the doctor what she eats? Can you tell a doctor that you eat Eba, Amala, and all these things? If that person is not from or a representative of that group, if not is not Nigerian or Ghanaian or have or has any cultural competence um experience or exposure to African West African food, that person may not understand the caloric value, cannot tell you exactly what your diet is doing for you from a health um standpoint and how that may have impact your health in the long term. So there's still a lot to be learned as far as how transnationalism and the sustenance of uh traditional diets from the old country that sustenance, how that may play a role in the short or even the long term. So there's a lot of things that need to be considered. Um, And that's why I embarked on my research as far as really trying to explore what are the factors that may impact, outside of just their perceptions, how may it potentially impact health? So yes, I've blabbered about diet and how they perceive their diet to be well, but we also know that there are other things 
um, other determinants of health that play a role when it comes to chronic diseases. So we haven't even talked about physical activity and stress, and that's for another episode. But if we're still focusing on the concept of diet, there's still a lot more that needs to be learned as far as how our dietary practices may impact um, transnationals on a long-term basis. Because we haven't even talked about barriers that play a role, right? We have themes such as time. People still got to work. Um, you still got to go to work. You still have to, if you have a family, you still have to take care of your family, your kids. And sometimes because we have barrier, time barriers, it's very difficult to be able to prepare food on a daily basis. So if you're not food prep, meal prepping, you're still more likely to rely on fast food products because of the lack of time that you have in order to um, prepare your food. So think about someone who is an immigrant or transnational immigrant that's here and been in the country for a long time. You have family to take care of back in, in your home country. So you work in maybe multiple jobs. You may be working a very, very um, strenuous job, demanding job, and you're committing a lot of hours to it. So in order to be able to provide and send money back to your native, you know, to your family members that are back home. And because of that particular burden, you now have to, um, you may not have enough time for yourself to be able to cook and prepare stuff. So you may rely on fast food, something that's quick and easy to go because it's convenient and it's cheap. So imagine if you have to send $100, you know, to your family members back in Nigeria or, and you're trying to save up, you're more likely to say, hey, look, instead of spending $20 to go to the world market and go buy something, if I didn't have a cousin that came to visit me and drop some things off or a family member, um, I might just go to Mickey D's real quick or go to Wendy's, get the four for four, right? She'll be able to sustain me for a little bit. Um, and I'll be able to save, you know, I have $96 that I can use um, to be able to take care of my family members here and also back in the home country. So there are a lot of things that transnationals have to think about, especially for adults. We're not even talking, I'm not talking about kids per se or, or young adults, but definitely working adults or even those who may be in school, in college or, or university. Those are some of the things you have to think about um, on a day-to-day basis. So there are so many challenges that I could address, but I just wanted to bring those things to light. Um, and, you know, just also now when we switch, when we switch in and talk about the complexity of the black community, it's still important to know that black people overall, there, there hasn't been anything. They're just, they're just now really focusing on, on health, on, um, paying attention to black health as far as nutrition goes and how it factors into obesity and now interventions are being put in place in order to improve awareness as far as healthier choices and healthier behaviors, minimizing sugar usage. Um, you know, I, I, in my experience when I was doing my postdoc, I, I've been to places where a lot of people in the black community do not drink water. They just don't drink water. And I'm not talking about Africans. I'm talking about African-Americans. Black folk, they don't drink water. Just a lot of juice, a lot of things that are very high in sugar content, right? And I, I mean, especially being in the South, sweet tea is something, baby. I'm a victim of that. Like, I love me some sweet tea. For any of those, for any of y'all who are listening that are friends of mine, real close friends of mine, y'all know I don't play with the sweet tea. That's, and, I'm, and I'm taking the necessary risk. I know it's the risk. I'm cutting years of my life every time I take a sip of that sweet tea, but Lord knows I'm here for a good time, not a long time. 
and, and and I mean, all jokes aside, I mean that's just what it is. So there's less um, consumption of water, um, less consumption of salt in the black diet. So there's a lot of there's a lot of risk factors that are that are to be considered when it comes to black health um, in a black in the African American community, and their diet is also something that should be questioned and 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 how um, black people should make healthier choices overall, not just African immigrants and African Americans, but overall, the choices that we make as black people still needs to be focused on, still needs to be emphasized. We need to think about the resources that are out there that can be culturally competent enough to be able to help educate our people um, about healthier food choices in a way that is still respective to our cultures. Right, we still want to be able to sustain our cultural diet, but we want to be able to be healthy with it. Right, so finding ways to have alternative ingredients instead of using um, vegetable oil or olive oil, trying to minimize that and and, and find an alternative um, content that can be used in order to prepare your your stew if you're African or your plantain if you're you know from the islands or anywhere. Right, or even your greens. You know, if you're from the African American community, so and, and trying to find a way to incorporate more fruits and incorporate more vegetables and salad, that's something that we all need to do as Black folks. It's not just uh, an African thing. It's not just um, you know an African American thing or a Caribbean thing. Um, when we are all here in the states, because we live in the same spaces, we suffer from the same disparities. Therefore, it doesn't really matter how you perceive your diet. Your practice is in question. Right. You don't have enough time because we're both we're all struggling from being in low SES communities or or, or being in a working class. We don't have enough time to be able to truly prepare. We don't know enough to be able to strategically uh, prepare our diets and, and be able to take care of ourselves properly. Therefore, we're still putting ourselves at risk. But what makes it worse for transnationals is the fact that they don't know us. <laughs> they don't know what my mom is going through. They don't know because we are so covert. Um, being black and transnational, because they assume we're all the same, you can't really tell and, and, and prescribe something appropriate for my mom or those who may be similar to her because you have no idea what she does. You have no idea what she's really eating. So she's truly at risk compared to those who I consider African-American because at least now they're starting to pay more attention to that. Now they're starting to know what types of food, what type of behaviors they are engaging in. But you really don't know too much about the transnationals yet because we're there, we blend in, we're black, we look alike. And because of that, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, hey, whatever I tell, you know, whatever I tell, you know, Jawan, she'll also work for Kalechi. And it's like, no, it's not because that's not going to work for me because I eat a lot of cassava. Jawan doesn't eat cassava, bro. Right. So, I mean, it's it's just a lot of things that need to be talked about on a larger level among professionals, but also community members. And this is why there's a lot more community based research that, that's taken place in various communities and there's still a, a, a high need for that in these communities because diet matters. What we eat essentially is who we are and if we don't know what we're eating and how what we're eating can impact us positively or negatively, then if you say you are what you eat, then you're essentially your own murderer. That's crazy. You can't be your own killer. 
And it's, you don't even know that you're your own silent killer because you're doing what you've been conditioned to do all your life because your food is part of your culture. Your culture is part of who you are. And essentially who you are could possibly kill you. All of us. And that's why there needs to be more research focused not just on you know, African-Americans, but transnationals, but the entire black community. So best believe this is not going to be a topic that is going to essentially, um, this is not a one and done thing. Um, this topic is going to be very um, pervasive and throughout the course of this podcast, the life of this podcast, because diet is, is, is going to be something that, you know, what we eat, our nutritional choices, um, that's always going to play a major role in a lot of the conversations that are, we're going to have related to health in the transnational and just the overarching black community, because um, that's a true indicator of culture. And if culture is something that this podcast is truly centered upon and the sustenance and the sharing and the expansion and the reduction and the integration and, and exportation of it, it's going to be very difficult to not have a very productive conversation without having some type of idea as to what type of food behavior or nutritional behavior that individual or we a group uh, as a group engage in. Um, it's just something that is a foundational concept when it comes to health in the black community or just when it comes to culture construction, it matters truly. So as a practitioner, I'm always proposing some type of intervention that should be taken into consideration. And I feel like when we talk about interventions in the black community, I believe there needs to be something that's out there that can help bridge the gap where we create some type of exposure to the different types of cultural foods that are out there and how, you know, how do they translate and convert as far as nutritional values and caloric value and and how can we educate um, cross-culturally um, people from various black subpopulations to know about the type of food and not just enjoy it as a delicacy but from a health standpoint right not just saying oh you know I want some I want some Caribbean food I want some African food on the south side where the, you know where the majority of black folks live in Chicago but also saying hey look you know let's as a community come together and have a greater understanding. Let's have a nutritionist who may be from this um, said community who can educate us, not just about soul food, but also, you know, who, who can educate, you know, African immigrants and, and Caribbean immigrants about soul food and what that is and why it matters and why does it help black folks, you know, why does it why is it such a, a point of a source of pride for, for African Americans? Um, I think that'll help as far as bridging that gap, right? Uh, and then being able to have interventions about the different types of African food and Caribbean food, which I think on the other hand, you know, people are more, there's more propensity for people to have interest in that. But I always feel like a lot of African immigrants, especially the older ones, not the second generation, but the older generation tends to have um, this negative look, outlook when it comes to the African-American diet or just the American diet. And I speak on that from a personal um perspective like my my dad will never come to america and eat american food he swore that to me when my dad comes to visit me from nigeria we just have to know if we're not preparing food in the house that's african food then we got to go to an african restaurant or something because if we don't he's gonna have a fit like a major fit and 
I thought it was a joke at first, but no, he he's really serious. And he's been here a couple of times and he stayed here for a couple a couple of weeks and he does not play. It's African food all day, every day. And I always wonder like why can't you engage in the you know, and eat some eat some mac and cheese, eat this. And he's just like, no, you know, I feel like African food is the best. I feel like it's the healthiest. I don't eat American food. I feel like it's gonna, you know, put my health at risk. And, you know, I and I think that that's not necessarily I don't agree with that mindset. I've always been a proponent that they're very they're people who are very similar to my dad's um who share my the same sentiments as my dad who live in the United States and don't just come to visit. And I think that we can do as a, as a community as a community of professionals and a community of, of scholars and a community of, of of working folks and and people who just want better. We can do a better job as far as being able to educate our um our immigrants and our tra- our transnationals about the benefit of you know black soul food and what it can do and why it matters. Um, I, I think that's a really really it may be underrated to some people, but I believe that. That's that can that's what can bridge the gap between African um, immigrants and Native African Americans, and, and you'll notice that throughout the course of this podcast, I'm always focusing on trying to find a way to bridge that gap because I just believe it truly matters. And um, if no one else is going to do it, best believe that I will, because you got to know your roots. We're all from the same place. We just decided to go to different stores. Well, let me correct myself and say that. Well, obviously, we know the history of the African Americans. They didn't decide anything; it was forced, but forgive me for that. Um, So to summarize everything, I just believe that in order for us as a black community to truly improve our health, among all the other things that I'll suggest throughout the course of this podcast, I believe that the first thing must happen is for us to be able to have an understanding of our culture. And I think it's the easiest way to kind of create that bridge is by being able to um, educate each other about our food, because our food, food can truly tell the history of a group, a racial group, an ethnicity um, it can bring people together. It can tear people apart. I mean, if you, the Nigerian versus Ghanaian Jalof war, I mean, that thing lasted almost two years. Why? But it's a real thing. I don't know. Food brings people together, but it can also tear us apart. If you burn somebody's food when they were really hungry, if you take somebody's food when they were expecting to eat it and they left it in the fridge, psh, don't play around. Yep. So that'll do it. Man, it's always fun to just talk to myself <laughs> for 40 minutes. But I'm uh, really glad you all were listening. Uh, I know you all were listening and bearing with me. But I hope you all learned something. Or if you didn't, feel free to hit me up. Follow me, blacktransnational underscore on IG. Email me, kalechi.lambers at gmail.com. Um, should be dropping another episode, hopefully, to be live from Nigeria to be traveling to Nigeria sometime next week so looking forward to it looking forward to bringing a different perspective for you all to listen to about you know being black and transnational um follow the podcast subscribe to podcast on all platforms uh and you know let me know how you feel let me know how you think you know this is, is this worth it is it is it a waste of time I really appreciate your feedback it helps me grow so my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts my pronouns are he him and his my black is transnational Um, And I hope by the end of this, yours is too. Peace.